This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Do you drive a vehicle? Then you'll find AutoCorrect helpful, especially on Coach Charlie's Tip of the Week. Listen to our podcast with me, Coach Charlie Melton, on any podcasting platform or on the MPB Public Media app. From MPB Think Radio, this is Deep South Dining, the show all about the culture of Southern flavor and the folks that love to stir the pot. Good morning, Malcolm White with Carol Palmer. We will be your host this morning. Uh, We'll uh, share what's been going on in our world and hopefully hear from you. And then Robert St. John will join us in the second part of the show. He'll talk about his charity extra table, about what restaurants are opening, closing, what's going on in his world. He's got a New Orleans list we want to hear about. Good morning and welcome to Deep South Dining. It is Monday morning right here on MPB Think Radio. Carol, how are you? Good morning. It's been a minute. Malcolm. Where have you been? I am just fine and (laughs) missed you so much last week, but just smiling knowing that you were down in the Crescent City. Yep, yep, yep. Went down with my brother Brad, and uh, we had a big time. And, yeah. Uh, so I was away last week, and we want to shout out to Chef Enrica Williams for being on the show and co-hosting with you. And I know y'all had a, a big show. And today, uh, Java, uh, our producer, is away. And so the cookie maestro, Kevin Farrell, is sitting in for Java, and he makes cookies every Monday morning here at MPB. And how many Monday mornings has that been now, Kevin? Uh, let's see. Kevin, you're on a roll. Cookie. 104 weeks. Whoa. Whoa. And today is the Las Vegas cookie. Yes, it is a chocolate chip. Uh, cashew. Cashew. And secret ingredient today, Carol, is? Potato chips. Is that right, and Kevin? And who would know that? Did you know that, Malcolm? Could no. you taste it? No. No, no, no. Okay, and- Kevin. Why? I think it adds crunch, but the interesting thing, the recipe said, you know, don't get the fancy chips, just get the old plain greasy ones, because those work the best. So I got the Kroger brands, and, uh, they, you know, they had a little bit of crunch and, and some saltiness to it, I think, too. So well, I'm go. glad we made the cookie box this morning, Malcolm, because, you know, if you don't get here early, everybody at They're gone. MPB yeah, and surrounding swarm. environments, they slip through the door. It's a swarm. It is. Yeah, it's a, every Monday morning. It's a swarm. But, uh, you know, we, we missed you last week. We had a great show with Ryan Mitchell, a son of Ed Mitchell, and we talked about Ed Mitchell's barbecue, and we were like going, yeah, 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 all the way off the air. There was so much to talk about, and it just dawned on me. I know you have the book. I do. It's but a beautiful book. as much as we it's talked way beyond about the barbecue, book, yeah. I know it. That's what we didn't say. We never said that because we were talking about barbecue culture and mm. his family history. And for anyone who thinks this is just a barbecue book, to me, the best thing are all the things between the pages, yeah. the barbecue. I mean, uh, the garlic Brussels sprouts are fantastic. I'm going to make this sweet potato souffle this week. Of course you are. Because, uh, it's I'm fall. Thinking it ahead. is sweet potato I'm thinking time. Ahead. Even though you know, we're still hot, I'm thinking ahead. But Ed Mitchell's barbecue 
book is way more than barbecue. Yeah, check it out. And so uh, Brad and I, being in New Orleans, you know, tried to eat our way across the Crescent City. We had some success. We uh, we had uh, a meal at Mr. B's in the French Quarter, uh, one of the Brennan family's operation. It, just a classic. Yes, a classic. We, we, we decided we'd do at least one classic or two and then something new. So at Mr. B's, we had uh, the seafood gumbo, uh, and then we had crab cakes, and we had soft-shell crabs, and uh, we also had – what else did we have? I think that's it. But it was delicious and traditional, and we – we sat at the bar, and there was a lot of hotty toddy going on there, but it was Because uh, it was good. the weekend of the Ole Miss Tulane game. Correct. We also uh, stopped in the French Quarter on the way back to the uh, place we were staying at Central Grocery and discovered that they are closed for renovations. I didn't know this. So for all of our listeners who are New Orleans bound, uh, Central Grocery is closed, but here is the kicker. The muffalettas are available at Sydney's liquor store next door. <laughs> so we zoomed right into Sydney's, got a whole muffaletta, and had that for lunch one day, and it was quite delightful. Malcolm, whenever I see a central grocery muffaletta, I do think about you. And we have to tell, <laughs> yes. tell the story of you and Bruce Browning canoeing how many miles down the Pearl River? Well, we did the length of the Pearl in 40 days. In, four, in 40 days. Right. And uh, WLBT followed you. They would check in <clears throat> with the helicopter well, more, yes. to make sure you were still alive. Still alive, that's right. Okay, so t- t- tell the big story. Well, here. we had stopped all along the way to take breaks, and I forget where we were now. Uh, not Columbia, but somewhere along the, the Pearl. And we spent the night, and as we were about to depart the helicopter from LBT hovered overhead to shoot some shots of us, some B-roll of us going back out on the river and dropped from the helicopter a giant package into the river and we paddled over and opened it and it was in a waterproof bag, opened it up and there was there were two whole muffalettas from Central Grocery, which we munched on for days and days and days as we paddled down the Pearl. Now, that was a sight for sore eyes. Yeah, that was fun. Y'all were hungry. Yeah, we were. Now, also when we were in New Orleans, uh, we went to Cooter Brown's for pregame uh, burgers and po' boys and had some of their delicious raw oysters at Cooter Brown's. Uh, very fine. And then we decided to try something new on our last night in town, and we went to Susan Spicer's newish restaurant, Rosedale. Heard about it, hadn't been there, tell us. Well, it is, I guess you would call it mid-city New Orleans. Um, It's up by the city park, the cemetery, and that part of town. Actually, on Rosedale Street. On Rosedale Street. And it's an old police station building that was moved from sometime in the 40s or 50s. And it's been renovated, and it's this wonderful, welcoming sort of neighborhood restaurant with Susan Spicer's fare and some local stuff. And we really had a great meal. Robert St. John, who's coming on the show later today, had recommended that we eat the barbecued shrimp there. He says they're the best in the city today. So my brother Brad got the barbecued shrimp. I got the shrimp Creole. 
But we both opened our meals with a bowl of turtle soup. Love turtle soup. I don't know how many people we have that listen that are big turtle soup eaters, but Brad and I love it. But it was unusual. It was a bit sweet. And inside the bowl, I discovered two small balls and fished, ate one, fished the other one out and asked the waiter to come over and tell me what it was. And they were tiny spinach balls folded into Into the turtle soup. soup. What a nice touch. Yeah. Well, I'm a huge Susan Spicer fan and can't wait to try it. Well, I would give it, uh, uh, you know, four stars. Uh, if you're in New Orleans, you want to try something new, uh, give Rosedale a try. Really good, really good. Okay, well, I snuck into New Orleans just a few days before you. I did the midweek thing. Okay. Uh, John and I went, and his uh, adult children um, went went with us, and we had a marvelous time. We started at Pesh for lunch. Oh, what a, a Donald, great lunch. A Donald Link restaurant. Yes. Pesh is John's favorite restaurant in New Orleans because oh, okay. he's all about the whole fish and every day they have a whole fish special and it is so beautifully uh, prepared. Very Portuguese. Well, it's very, you know, John does love love that Portugal, but um they had a whole redfish for mm. two. I didn't know redfish. It was like a two-pound redfish. I've never seen a redfish that small. Wow. And y'all shared that? We did. The whole fish? We did. We did. And it was. Did they debone it, or did you guys do it uh, as, as you went They on? offered to, but we, you know, we actually. Um, Prefer. Did that. Yes. So okay. that was fun. And uh, I guess the biggest deal for me was going to Clancy's. An uptown restaurant. What a treat. A friend of mine refers to that as a Republican restaurant. A Republican restaurant? I don't know. Just some friend of mine says that about. It's a great restaurant. Yes, and there were people in seersucker suits uh, with their hats on at lunch. It was very New Orleans, just an elegant, classic dining room, white tablecloth, waiters in long aprons, and I had the best soft-shell crab I've ever had in my whole life. There you go. You had a great one. I had a great one. It's, uh, I guess, soft-shell, or it's, it's the moment. It is it the, is the moment. moment, and i tell you something, uh, a little piece of info we learned down there is soft shells have uh, been in short supply this year because there are people from Maryland, yes. chefs, buying up our soft shell crabs because they had a soft shell crab incident up oh. in the Chesapeake Bay. I think there was some pollution, so oh, no. the price is up. And, you know, you're lucky when you get a great one like I do. But one more restaurant couldn't leave without going to Gianna's, which is another Donald Link hmm. restaurant. Italian, I don't know Gianna's. Well, it's it's relatively new. Italian restaurant, absolutely wonderful. But I highly recommend the lamb lasagna. Oh, boy. We had lasagna at our house last night, but it was not made from lamb. It was really good, though. Yeah, of course. Everything out of Kara's kitchen. Delish. 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 We had pound cake. We had uh, pumpkin cake. It's been a good week. And speaking of uh, Italy and Italian restaurants, our friend Elaine Trigiani has now created 
an Instagram page for her olive oil operation. And uh, I'm not exactly sure where it is, but Carol's looking it up. For those of you who follow Elaine and her work uh, in Italy, uh, you'll want to add uh, a link to her Instagram page uh, as well as her Because she's Facebook. about to release the new The new oil. oil. That's yeah. right. So you and I have gotten an order in. And we Joe have Sherman, we have indeed. he's our oil uh, baron. He oversees our oil operations. And so. Well, you know, I had a text from my cousin Todd Lane of Greenville, Mississippi, who's, who's relocated to Madison, and asking me where he could get Elaine Trigiani's olive oil. He listens mm-hmm. to the show. He had heard Elaine, and uh, he had actually gone to Flora Butcher, where they had previously had some. But oh, they out? Sold out. Oh, my goodness. And so I said, well, I, you know, there's the new olive oils coming in, but I believe I have a bottle that I would be happy to to give to you. Wow. And do you know what he said? Thank you. No. What? He said, no, thank you. I heard Elaine say that you don't know how to store your <laughs> olive oil. <laughs> you know. She got you on well, that one. Well, she, she dogged me she a, co- a couple of years ago because <laughs> uh, we all brought olive oil in to taste, and she tasted mine, and yeah. she said, this is kept by the stove. <laughs> Out in the open. And Cousin Todd turned down this beautiful, wow. unopened bottle of olive oil. Well, because Sometimes our mistakes that, follow yes, us around. They do follow us around. <laughs> For a long, long time. <laughs> well, um, openings and closings. Uh, the famous Beatty Street Grocery in, in Jackson has closed after 83 years. Makes me sad, sad, sad. The uh, Harden family, who have run that place for all of these 83 years, have finally given up the ghosts, said enough is enough, family's not interested, we're ready to retire, and they're closing down the Beatty Street. Well, in my former life, in one of my former lives, You've had so many. I worked close to Beatty Street Grocery, and... Um, that was that was our the sausage sandwich. That was our lunch place. Ah. A lot and, of grace. And an opening, Eudora's, will be coming soon to the district in Jackson. So one place closes, another opens. And what a lovely name. Yes, name for our famous uh, Mississippi author, Eudora Welty. And it's opening soon. Yes, and you have the info over there. I do, I do. Uh, Tyler Alford is the, as they call, the operating partner, and he has, he's worked all over. He has. He The award-winning Copper Whiskey Bar and Grill and Brigade Restaurant in Montana. And something that really uh, caught my eye, he was the vice president of operations and beverage director for Tupelo Honey. One of my very favorite restaurants in North Carolina in Asheville, and it was just you know a single restaurant that was so wildly successful. They have now expanded it uh, across seventeen states. Wow! But he he's got a, a lot of operational experience. And Tyler uh, went to Millsaps, played football, and uh, he's happy to be returning to Jackson. Uh, home to uh, open his new establishment, Eudora's. We are joined now by our great friend, uh, home based in uh, Hattiesburg, but honestly, the Hub City. yes, he's a he's a man about the world. Please welcome <laughs> Robert St. John to the show. Good morning, Robert. Hey, hey, good morning. How we doing? Man, we're great. How about you? We're rolling. Oh, 
All is well. All is well. I got up early, rode my bike. It was kind of brisk, about 60 degrees, which was welcome relief. I think it's getting up to 90. But so I had a good bike ride and went to the bakery in the midtown and made my rounds. And now I'm... Uh, the best part of my day is probably going to be this one right here, talking to you two. Well, you know, Robert, we, of course, were just talking about New Orleans and uh, the past weekend when Brad and I were down there, and uh, Carol talked about some of her eateries. I talked about some of my meals. But I know you have an annual list, uh, your New Orleans list. Would you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. So I, um, I keep a running, uh, really, food journal. Uh, when I travel and I uh, have uh, different cities and, and I get asked all the time, hey, I'm, I'm headed to Chicago or I'm headed wherever, you know, uh, can, you, can you tell me where to go? Where can we go? Where can we eat? Those kind of things. And so, um, you know, I just started putting together a, a list really for people to answer. And, uh, and then eventually it just became, you know, I said, you know what, I'm going to just put this in my column. And uh, I have I keep a running list of places I've been to, and I I have journal entries on those, and places I want to get to, places I need to revisit, um, that kind of thing. And so, yeah, I put that one out. I think it was a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, some changes. And what a great list! Yeah, it's it's definitely something people cut out or or pull off the internet and carry around. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I hear fr- I hear from them all the time. Hey, we went here, went there, or when I'm in a, a place, they'll say, "Hey, man, you're sending me all these Mississippi people." <laughs> but um, yeah, but Frank Brightson is always at the at the top of that list because I just I love Brightson's and that restaurant and everything he does. He's such such a talent, but he's so humble and um, the place. Uh, I think I think Malcolm, you and I maybe last week talked about Rosedale as well. Oh yeah. So so. From, so Frank and Susan Spicer are just you know two of my favorite, and they are as nice and approachable and talented uh, as they are really anything else in the food world. And and Rosedale, I don't think Susan spends a lot of time at Bayona much anymore. But every time I've been in Rosedale, I've seen her, and she's she's back there kitchen uh, cooking in the kitchen and working hard. And I think I told you, Malcolm, that if somebody sat down and said, let's develop a restaurant just for Robert St. John. That's what it would be. I mean, everything about that restaurant is casual, but the food is on another level, but it's presented uh, simply and uncomplicated, and nobody's got tweezers in the back, and you know, I love it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Little squirt, squirt bottles making yeah. me. They yeah. Yeah. Robert, it made me so I'm, happy. I'm, I'm that, not against that. I'm, uh, I'm all for tweezers and yeah, squirt bottles, I, I but know not that. all the time. I know that, not but um, it made me so happy that Frank Brightson stays at the top of your list. I think that... You know, when people don't talk about Brightson's nearly enough and what he does day in and day out is so fine and so consistent, uh, just a wonderful experience for those who have not. You know, his wife, Marna, runs the floor um, and and has ever since they opened for those. For those of your listeners who are not really familiar, Frank worked under Paul Prudhomme uh, when Prudhomme was at Commanders. And then when Prudhomme went off to open K. Paul's, he took Frank with him as his number two and as his Sue. And and what people don't understand about Prudhomme, you know, we do pop-up we do pop up restaurants 
here, and people are doing pop-ups all the time. Paul Bredome invented the pop-up. He did. I know y'all remember that back in, I think it was about 82. Yep. He took his entire restaurant to San Francisco for the summer, Frank and everybody. And and if you if any of your listeners go into Brightson's, you'll, you'll end up meeting Frank because he, he talks to everybody. But ask him about that first pop-up because he was on the black and fish station and they had no <laughs> ventilation. And so he was doing it with goggles on, basically. I mean, they had lines down the street. The next year, they took it to New York, and it was just a phenomenon. I mean, nobody knew what blackened anything was before Paul Perdome and Frank. And, um, you know, they actually, there were <laughs> there were no limits on redfish until, you know, Perdome started blackening redfish. And then, you know. Yeah, decimated the, the redfish so population. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, you know, he he's, you know, in, in, a, in a good way, he, he introduced that to everybody, but... Um, then he he came to Frank one day and said, you know what, it's time for you to open your own place, and he bankrolled him. And they opened that in 86, right there at the Riverbend on Dante Street. And uh, he's been there ever since. I can remember when I was uh, working as a chef in my kitchen, you know, I idolized that place and, and took a night off, and, and Jill and I went down and at the end of the meal, just great meal. I asked if I could go back to the kitchen, and you know, I I don't, I'm not sure what I expected. Probably a whole, you know, battery of, of cooks and, and equipment, and it, it was Frank. Mm-hmm. It was Frank and four <laughs> burners, and a prep uh, prep cook slash dishwasher. Mm. And he kept it that way really up until about ten or twelve years ago, and now he added two more burners and maybe a fryer. <laughs> And a, a prep cook, and uh, maybe a pastry person, but it's a small kitchen, and 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 he's he's it's it's just a great place. So I, I love having dinner there. It always makes number one on my dinner spot. We've got a caller, Robert. So uh, Joy from Soso, Mississippi, is calling. How are you, Joy? Thanks for calling. I'm great. How are you? Doing great. Okay, I just want to acknowledge y'all. I'm so glad you mentioned the trip to New Orleans, and it was pleasant. Because I was born and raised in New Orleans, and I love my city, and it's gotten a bad rep lately, like people are saying it's a bad city. But it's a big city. All big cities going to have crime. But I'm 87 years old. I lived there, and I never got robbed, and I never had, had any trouble. I actually owned a natural food restaurant, and a, I opened it up in, in 1977 in Metairie on Cleary Avenue. And it did wonderful. I had, uh, they had some bikers across the street and they used to come and get a vegetarian sandwich every day. (laughs) So, I mean, I just love New Orleans and I hate to hear people say bad things about New Orleans. And I'm so glad y'all mentioned you went there and it was a good trip. Well, you're not going to hear us say anything bad. And also, Malcolm, can you hear the New Orleans in her voice? Yes, I can. Joy, you can we take the girl out of New Orleans. That accent. <laughs> no. yeah, Joy. So, it's so many wonderful places to eat there. I mean, it's it's you could go there a hundred times and eat at a hundred different places. Indeed, you could. Joy, thank you so much for listening and for calling and sharing uh, your feelings and thoughts about that. We all love New Orleans, and we we go every chance right. we can, and uh, we think it's a great city. A great city. I think, I think most Thank food you. critics would Thank put it in the so much. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead, Robert. I think most food critics would put it in the top 
two or three food cities in the country. I mean, it's just undisputed. Uh, it's certainly in the top three. For me, it's number one. And not that I don't love New York and Chicago, I do. They're great restaurant cities, but, you know, I grew up an hour and a half north of, of New Orleans and love. You know, the thing about it is what a lot of people don't realize is there are twice as many restaurants in New Orleans today as there were pre-Katrina. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Now that that's, is that's, that is something. Yeah, that's an interesting. Yeah, statistic. what what that did it allowed a lot of people to um, kind of open up small joints like Red's Chinese and places like that. People came uh, from Brooklyn, New York, and uh, the guys at Paladar Five Eleven uh, from San Francisco, and uh, and they started opening just small little. If you know where to go, you know too many people, and I'm not. I'm not talking bad about any restaurants, but but the locally owned uh, independents, you kind of, if you can get out of the CBD and all the kind of themed, you know, tourist kind of restaurants and just get to the real stuff around the city, on Magazine and in Mid-City and out at the lakefront and, you know, uh, I, I rarely eat in the quarter. When I when I take out-of-town guests, you know, uh, if I want them to do one of the old-school restaurants like Galatoire's, Antoine's, uh, Arnaud's, or Brennan's, I usually go to Brennan's. And nothing against the others. It's just uh, it's, a, it's a really good feel uh, to take some. A lot, of, a lot of my friends who come over from Europe, I take them there. and it's, It really feels New Orleans in there. But I'm, I don't spend a lot of time eating in the quarter, really. Right. Mm-hmm. My favorite steak place is in the quarter, but Doris Metropolitan, which is a really, yep. really good steak place. Well, you and I share the same uh, favorite pub boy place, and that's Domelisi's. And yeah. I think I started going there when... I learned how to drive, so that was a long. It was a long time ago. <laughs> Those are great, great po boys, and and I mean Parkway's great too. Parkway's kind of the hot favorite, and um, I was looking up. Somebody sent me. Uh, I just added something to the list the other day. I'm about to look it up. Something on magazine. Malcolm's probably been there, but uh, I hope so. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know which one you're talking about. So, Robert, what? Talk a little bit about uh, you, you had a fundraiser a few days ago, uh, and uh, for extra table. Tell us a little bit about that, and I hope it went really well. I will. It went great. And by the way, it's Mahoney's on magazine. So yes, 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 Mahoney's. Oh boy, there, but it, it's on my it's on my list, my to do list. Yeah. So, Alan Benton, who is the primary and premier curer and smoker of bacon and country ham in the country. Um, uh, and John Quickendall, who is the master gardener at Blackberry Farm, are both friends, and I see them when I'm up there. We use uh, Alan's products a lot. Um, we had uh, we had both of them in town. I visited with them back in February when I was up in that area and said, man, we ought to do a dinner together. We had done one with Alan about 10 years ago. We just wanted to get him back, and, and I've gotten to know John so well. He, John Koykendall is an amazing guy, the master gardener there at uh, Blackberry, but he collects seeds of heirloom vegetables. The first time I met him, I walked into the garden shed there, and he said, hey, where are you from? And I said, well, I'm from Hattiesburg, Mississippi. And he kind of got up and, and went to the back and started thumbing through something, and he came out with a a pink eye whippoorwill pea from <laughs> Walthall County from 1864. Wow. Like, and he has 700 heirloom seeds that he's collected uh, that end up in the 
some of them are in this big genetic library. There's one here and there's one in uh, Norway, actually. But he collects seeds and, and keeps all of these heirloom vegetables, you know, going. I mean, we've lost a lot over the years, but, but due to people like John Koykendall, we're, we're keeping a lot of that alive. And he gave me some of those seeds. I hadn't, I hadn't planted yet. They're in the freezer. But well, I hope it's not like your squash. Uh, yeah, your squash. Oh, don't, don't plant a lot. That's, that's why I hadn't done it yet, because I have a brown thumb. But then Alan, who is the kindest, most generous, low-key guy, and both of y'all know him, and, and uh, it was good to have both of them back. So we had a dinner uh, to benefit Extra Table. And uh, I, I did the menu and, and was just tickled to death with the results. Um, we, we originally were going to do it in July when we were going to be able to get a good bit out of the garden at Blackberry. And uh, it got postponed and then, and then got postponed again. So it was our third date. But we, had, we packed out both nights. We raised good money for extra table and uh, just had a great time with those two guys. We did a little Q&A and... Um, they spoke about their passion for, for, for what they do and why they do it and why it's important, you know, that we preserve, you know, commercial bacon and I eat it, you know, but commercial bacon takes about a day to process and get out. And, you know, when Alan's doing his bacon, it's about two or three month process. I mean, he does it the way our great grandparents did it. It's the only way they could do it back right. then, you know. We appreciate Robert making time and coming on the air and sharing what's going on in his world. And if you would, Robert, sort of update us on uh, your Hattiesburg projects. You've opened the Loblolly Bakery, for example. I am. And, and before I do, if any, any of your – I failed to mention any, any listeners are interested in that list, they can just go to robertstjohn.com, and there's a little search bar. Type in, like, New Orleans 2023, and it'll come up, and you can have access to it. Yeah, that's uh, so, Robert's yeah. New Orleans eatery list. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Um, yeah, we opened a, a bakery down there. It's something I've wanted to do for, golly, 10 years. And uh, so I've been I've been bugging Martha Foos and Donald Bender, try to get them out of the Delta and down here to the Pine Belt, or she calls the Pine Belta. And, uh, of course she um, does. To, <laughs> to open up a bakery, I am a bakery-free. I'm a breakfast guy. I, actually, my new cookbook coming out of this fall is a breakfast cookbook. I am. Ne- I never miss breakfast. And, you know, we've got a breakfast joint down here called the Midtowner, but it's not a bakery. And Hattiesburg needed a real-deal French-inspired bakery uh, and a place that bakes artisan breads. And, you know, we're... Uh, so that's what we're doing now, and uh, we opened at 3207 Hardy Street. It's all all of our businesses are in Midtown Hattiesburg, which, if you know Hattiesburg at all, uh, it's Hardy Street between Highway 49 and Interstate 59, and uh, you know where that's where Crest City Grill and Ed's Burger Joint. About all those, I grew up about four blocks behind. Uh, there and currently live about eight blocks behind there yes i loved seeing the article about the the elam arms dormitory (laughs) i kept i kept wondering when i came to the midtowner and saw this complex i was going where did this land come from and then yeah it came to me it was the elam arms and before it was elam arms dormitory it was a place called the collegian cafe uh, directly across from campus, and it and it served uh, breakfast and uh, meeting three, and I think he was open for dinner. It was a a long time legendary Hattiesburg restaurateur, uh, 
that I'm sure y'all probably remember. His name was Jimmy Fawn. Oh, Jimmy Fawn. And, yeah. Yeah. and the, the fine dining restaurant in Hattiesburg forever was a place called Jimmy Fawn's. And he had a place called the Sea Lodge and a place called La Fawn's, which isn't a great name, but it was a good restaurant. And uh, I'm sitting here looking at the menu, and he had the Collegian Cafe as well. And so we are carrying on that tradition of, of that place that used to be there. Uh, when the dorm the dorm was there, it's all I can remember since I was a kid. And then we had an F4 tornado blow through town, and it just it, you know mm. tore up the dorm and part of campus and a lot of the homes. And uh, so the developers came to me and said, hey, we, I was looking. I'd, I'd tried to open a breakfast place for almost 10 years, too. And so we did that. And so it's just a few blocks from the bakery. Well, Hattiesburg is an inspired town or city now. It is, you know, it is it's just amazing what's happened. And, uh, I mean, y'all have become a destination, a food destination. Well, I tell you what, I was told by our mayor, and and so I believe him. He said we have the most restaurants per capita than any other place in the state, and he said we have the most bars per capita. <laughs> and I guess if you take because the coast, you can't look at the one coast. I guess they're looking at Gulfport and you know Long Beach and Pass Grant, seven seven cities down there. So yeah, there's a lot here. There's a lot to do. Um, yeah, we got the university. It always has great um, arts programs, and yeah, Hansburg, I, I love this place. Now, I was in Crescent City having lunch the other day on my way back from New Orleans, and you have a construction project going on over there. <laughs> I do, man. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta, man, you got to keep moving forward. I know. Uh, you I'm with Robert, you. you keep mo- you're a whirling around. dervish. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, you know, I, uh, I, I I get bored easily. I guess. <laughs> now, we, um, yeah, so we, uh, when I closed Purple Pear, Purple Pear was my first restaurant I ever opened in 1987. Fine dining, loved it. We opened 33 years, which is a good run. I closed it uh, during COVID in 2020, um, likely probably eight years too long. I probably hung on about eight years longer than, than I should have. The town town moved west on me and 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 dining habits changed and but it was it was like a baby I mean, hell it was older than my my children so <laughs> we closed purple parrot and uh i was working on a tex-mex restaurant at the time and i was going to do it off-site hold on i'm gonna take a sip of water i'm about to call okay we don't want you coughing on the air you have to I don't hit, have a cough button. You don't have a cough button. <laughs> I, I worked in radio for four years, you know. Yeah, I do. Um, and you had a cough button I lo- back I then. I on the radio. Yeah. I did. Um, but I was working on this Tex-Mex restaurant. It was going to be off-site. And, um, you know, it didn't make sense in that environment. You know, I didn't even know if we were going to be around, you know, much longer. So I did the Tex-Mex restaurant on-site. And what happened, I mean, the volume is such that – Years ago, we were a 7,500-square-foot building. We were running Crest City Grill, Mahogany Bar, and Purple Parrot out of it very effectively, very efficiently. Um, these days, we're a 15,000-square-foot building. And I finally just came to the realization uh, earlier this year, you know what? We, we, we can no longer do two restaurants out of this one kitchen effectively right. like we used to. And I felt like quality was suffering in Crescent City Grill and I'm never going to let that happen because that's our flagship restaurant. So I, I packed up El Rio back in July. I put it in storage. 
I'm probably going to bring it up to Jackson and do a Tex-Mex concept in that metro area somewhere. Not sure where. But um, so in that space, uh, we're expanding the mahogany bar and making it. Um, it's and we're we're putting in an oyster bar. It'll be a little more focus on cocktails. And you know we've got when we shut down the parrot in 2020, we had a 4,000 label wine list that had been second level wine spectator for yeah, decades. So there's this huge wine inventory we still have that, that we don't need that much from uh, for Crescent City Grill, and especially not those really, really fine wines that we had in inventory. And so we bought an enomatic system where, you know, the, you stick the bottles in and preserves, mm-hmm. and we could do – we got eight of those, and we're, we're so we're going to do some really, really kick-butt wines by the glass for really, really good prices because we've got the inventory in there. So it's going to be more cocktail wine, uh, spritz kind of associated. And then the other side of the mahogany bar, the the, the heritage side, uh, we do a lot of beer and whiskey and craft beers and all of that kind of thing. So so it's really, you know, we'll have a, even a broader appeal. And then there's this patio I built for the, uh, the Tex-Mex place that um, – it's beautiful. It's lush, and we kind of demixed it, and are uh, <laughs> just putting in some uh, comfortable seating and outdoor sofas and things like that. And and so it's we're gonna we our brand is Crest City Grill Mahogany Bar, and that's just what we need to be. And I came to that decision, um, and and I'm, I'm really excited about it. So. I was set to open September 15th, and some of the equipment, you know, we're still dealing with these uh, shortages and shipping and that kind of thing. And the equipment's going to get here this week, but I'm about to go work overseas for six. I leave September 29th to work in Italy through November 15th. And uh, so I am pausing the opening of that. So there'll be six weeks. That entire six weeks, we're going to be training bartenders and cocktails and servers, which is a luxury to have six weeks like that. Like when we did Enzo, you know, it was a two-week turnaround, and it was a nightmare Right. once we got open. It took us five months to recover from that. This will be the opposite of that, where we can really take our time. And I probably still have PTSD from that Enzo opening, <laughs> but I'm serious. But it's great. I mean, we're hitting on all cylinders now. I mean, anybody's listening that went to Enzo in the early days, it was uh, craptastic pretty much. But we are uh, we're hitting on all cylinders now. We got a great chef, uh, Justin Ferguson, who I took to Italy with me in the spring, and he was so inspired. And uh, we, we've got doing doing really 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 good stuff up there now. But I, you know, it was rough. It was about, I learned a huge. You would think after 41 years in in the business, you 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 know pretty much everything, but you you know you don't. No, and you never know at I all. I learned a big lesson there that you can take over somebody else's staff, but you're also going to take over their culture. Right. The yeah. culture there was not good at all. And I mean, you know, my thinking I think was sound. In that you know the the mar- the labor market in Jackson has always been hard, but post COVID is brutal and almost impossible. And so I thought, well, there's already a staff in there. Let's just we'll just hire those. And so I shut down for two weeks, cleaned the place up, redecorated, paid that paid everybody during those two weeks, and then we reopened. And it was just it it didn't work. And uh, you know, so I learned a lesson there. But we we got the right people in place after. 
several months, and, and we're we're good to go. So here in and that's Enzo and Jackson at, at Renaissance Renaissance Shopping that's Center right. for those. That's right. I should have been clearer with that. But. So, Robert, tell us about your uh, European work, your tours, and, you know, let's just assume that some listeners don't know about that. Why don't you hip us to that? Yeah. So, in 2011, I took my wife and uh, 10-year-old son and 14-year-old daughter to Europe, and we landed in Sweden, bought a Volvo, and spent the next six months in 72 cities in 17 countries on two (laughs) continents. And a book came out of that called An Italian Palette that I did with White Waters, and... um, while Wyatt and I were on book tour, uh, signing books at bookstores and gift shops, people would come up to me, people who had read my column that I do every week or seen my social media, man, I wish you'd take me to that, you know, restaurant you wrote about in Florence, or I'd love to see this, or, you know. And at first you just think it's somebody making conversation with you while you're signing their book, but I kept hearing it, kept hearing it, kept hearing it, and finally I, called, I told Wyatt one day, I said, man, I think people want us to take them to Italy. You want to do it? And he said, Sure. And so I figured I'd do it once, and um, and I um, I made a Facebook post, and it filled up in like an hour. And then there was a waiting list, and the waiting list got a waiting list. And so I took people to Tuscany, a few groups, and then those people said, hey, where are we going next? And then we did Rome, Amalfi, Naples, and we did Venice, Milan, you know. So this thing, I, I figured it out the other day. I've been doing it six years now, and I had two years off during COVID, and it's been over 1,000 people. In mm. groups Fantastic. of 25. Wow. But it's crazy. I think that's after these. And so now, um, you know, we're going to Sicily. I'm doing Sicily here on 1st of October, and then I've got four groups in Tuscany. In the spring, we'll go to Spain again for our third time, and uh, I'm doing three more Tuscanies and uh, England, Scotland. So the cool thing about, like, Spain, England, Scotland, those groups, I mean, There'll be a lady, it'll be her eighth trip with me, and most of the people, it'll be their sixth, their fifth. So people just keep, got to be doing something right there. But it's fun for me. I have to take a little time off. You know, it's work. <clears throat> but if you got to work somewhere, it's not a bad place to to work. So I'm, I'm typically gone six weeks in the fall and six weeks in the spring. Around uh, around COVID, Wyatt decided he didn't really want to do the overseas thing anymore. But I, I think he's maybe working on something on his own. And uh, and so I just I just kept going because people kept asking and you know we don't even advertise it it's just there's a place on my website that says travel and you put your name in there and we we make the announcement and usually within five or ten minutes it's uh, it's filled up. I think Robert, you're being you know, really humble about these trips because you know I've taken groups through the Culinary Institute and Viking Range, and that is not an easy thing to do. And for you to treat it as a vacation, I am in awe. Well, I, I, I misspoke if I said it's a vacation because it is work. It's I know. It is work. hard it's work. Hurt, it's hurting people. For, yeah, hurting people. Yeah, yeah. But it's fun. You know, it's something that it's, I just enjoy. There's something in me that's always been there since I was a little kid that I love turning people on to other things. I'd get a new 45, and I'd want, yo, you got to hear this. you got to hear it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's that. It's it's the kid in me that, oh, I found this restaurant in this little town in Greve. you got to eat here. And so, you know, when I, you can only experience something for the first time once. Uh-huh. But if you're doing it with other people and you're turning them on to it, then you're – you get to experience their first time, which is almost just as good. 
And so that's what I do. There's, I, no, I love doing it. It's definitely work. I mean, and, and I think people think that. I'm saying, well, I'm headed to Italy for the next six weeks, and, you know, I got five groups of people I'm responsible for their, you know, good time. But I, I take I take it seriously, and, and we have a blast. And, and we're doing something right because they keep going. So, Robert, you've got your 13th book coming out soon. Uh, you want to tell us a little <laughs> bit about that? Oh, and when yeah, you're not so doing these other things, you're writing books. <laughs> I get back uh, November fifteenth, and I think the book comes out the seventeenth. It's called it's called Mississippi Mornings. I really think I know people probably say this all the time, but I really think this is my best yet. I'm looking at an advanced copy sitting here on my desk, and um, there's a, a lady named Kate Dearman who did the photography in here, and it is um, you know again I, as I said at the first of this interview, I love breakfast. And I uh, always wanted, I had a three-book deal with Hyperion up in New York, and I wanted to do a breakfast book with them. They weren't that interested in it, so I've always had it in the back of my mind that I'm going to do um, a breakfast book, and, and I'm finally, I've, I've gotten around to it, and very, very proud of this book. It's got 120 recipes. It's got stories about breakfast and, and really beautiful photography. Martha Foose wrote the uh, the forward and uh, did a good job, so... Uh, I'm I'm with uh, Terrell wrote forward to one of my books, and I think I wrote the forward to one of Malcolm's books. That's yeah, right. we've all been <laughs> we've all, all written for each other. Here. We are family. We're the forwarders. <laughs> We're the forwarders. <laughs> and I wrote a forward for Wyatt's new book. That's right. So it's full circle. <laughs> yeah, and Malcolm and yeah. I are talking about writing a book. That's right. We're, we're in the early stages, so um, I think we're just all right for each other. That's right. Uh, there you go. Well, Robert, we do appreciate your coming on and, and bringing us up to speed. Uh, it's been a joy to touch base and to reconnect and see what's going on. Um, well, you know, I, I admire the two of you always have. I've known you all for a long time, and I just want to thank you for what you do, uh, not only for the culinary world in Mississippi, but for so many other things. and. And I know, you know, you guys have served on so many boards and so many other things. And and just like everything else, there's about 10% of the people that get, you know, 100% of the work done. And, and you guys are those two people. So not only with this show and spreading the good word about Mississippi food, but but everything else you do for Mississippi is so important. And, and I'm, I know I speak on behalf of everybody listening right now. We appreciate what you do. Thank you, Robert. That that's very kind. Very kind, and we kind. and we admire what you do, of course, and we appreciate you coming on this morning and giving us an update into the wide, wide world of yeah, Robert St. John. Yeah, and we, we hope next time you're you know flying through town in your pickup truck, you'll come in person. Yeah, come sit I'm, with I'm us sometime. I'll bring, uh, I'll bring bakery <laughs> pastries, pastries. Right, bring pastries. the pastries. It's a day. All right, great. Well, thanks a lot, Robert, thanks, and uh, we'll see you on the other side. Well, Carol, it's, well, Mal, been, it's been another Deep South Dining. It has indeed. And it's great to, to be back after a week off, and it's good to check on you and see what's going on in your world. If we don't get anything else done here, we could at least spend an hour together every Monday. And if for our listeners, uh, we appreciate you tuning in on this Monday morning, starting your week with us. And, of course, we want to remind you that we are also on at 9 o'clock every Sunday morning, a rebroadcast, and always available on a podcast. Anytime you want to pick us up and listen to us, we are there for the download. 
and check our Facebook page, Cooking and Coping. You'll find 6,000 other people posting recipes and creating a food community. Yeah. I saw your stuff this week. Yeah, I put a little stuff up there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you got to get back in the kitchen now. Yeah, I got to Rattle those pots and pans. We appreciate you uh, tuning in to Deep South Dining. We will... Remind you that Deep South Dining is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting's Think Radio. We are funded by the generous contributions from folks like yourself, and we thank you. Our show was engineered today by the cookie meister, Kevin Farrell. For my co-host, Carol Palmer. For our special guest, Robert St. John, I'm Malcolm White, and we thank you for tuning in. We ask that you now stay tuned for Marshall Ramsey's program, Now You're Talking, followed by Southern Remedy at 11. Again, join us next Monday for more Deep South Dining heard only on MPB Think Radio, and we'll see you next time. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.